and welcome to the F1 Strategy Report for Apex Race Manager, the mobile management simulator. My name's Michael Laminato, and on this week's edition, the Austrian Grand Prix, is Valtteri Bottas a genuine title contender? And what does this mean for Kimi Raikkonen? That's all to come on this edition of the Strategy Report. Well, we're sitting just outside the Red Bull ring. The sun's going down. I could say the hills are alive, but everybody says that for this race, so you already know where we are. Yes, it's the Austrian Grand Prix Strategy Report, and joining me now from NBC Sport is Luke Smith. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Michael. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. It's not exactly the race we anticipated, (laughs) but the implications of this race are actually really, really exciting for the championship. Yeah, it's been huge. We've seen uh, Sebastian Vessel uh, finish second, obviously behind Valtteri Mm -hmm. Bottas, so that was... uh, uh, not really the result that Vettel would have wanted but with Lewis Hamilton having his grip penalty only finishing fourth it's given him a 20 point buffer at the top but yes. uh, the main man Bottas a great mm. victory for him now only 35 points off the lead so uh, he's now looking like a, a pretender in this title fight which I think before nobody really thought he was yeah and before we go into the details of how that happened uh, it is sort of I guess the generally accepted outlook going into this race that as long as Vettel finished in front of Hamilton who did take that grid place penalty for a gearbox change it'd be okay because he's the championship rival but do you think after this race seeing that Bottas won it seeing that he is closer to Hamilton than Hamilton is to Vettel which is an interesting championship permutation that maybe Vettel will be thinking oh maybe it would have been really maybe trying that extra one percent if there was anything left in the tank to pass Bottas at the end of this race yeah I definitely think it'll be uh well maybe not regretting it but he'll mm. definitely have that on his mind I think uh, going out of this race weekend it's uh, it is important to obviously look at all of the uh, potential rivals for a title we saw in 2007 mm. obviously with uh, Kim Raikkonen coming around the outside and winning uh, against uh, Alonso and Hamilton we saw in 2010 even with Vessel himself it was meant to be a Weber Alonso showdown and he stole the show so uh, yeah I think now he'll definitely be looking at Bottas perhaps a bit more seriously um, mm-hmm. it was uh, it, it was important I think for Vessel's day to beat Hamilton as he did he certainly took advantage of Hamilton's uh, grip penalty but without winning the race yeah Bottas has really really sort of uh, crashed their I think two man party and yeah. uh, made, made it a three way fight now yeah very exciting for us and we all look forward to seeing how that unfolds but let's look at the context of this weekend Bri- very briefly uh, last round out in Azerbaijan all the talk was about that clash behind the safety car there was no follow on penalty for Sebastian Vettel but in this uh, I, go, I suppose continuing irony for Lewis Hamilton who finished behind Vettel in Azerbaijan uh, had to take this gearbox penalty so didn't have really the opportunity to bounce back in perhaps the way he would have liked in Austria to let's say just say qualify ahead of Vettel and then beat him in the Grand Prix. What I thought was interesting though is that Mercedes knew this penalty was coming on Tuesday but didn't tell anybody until Friday. People saying well maybe that's because Ferrari in their practice program wouldn't have known. So there's a little bit of that. I guess that's an aspect we don't necessarily think about is that uh, off-the-track strategy that teams can play mind games, maybe we like to call them. Yeah, there's definitely that gamesmanship, I think. I think Mercedes, yeah, they don't want to give away any extra information or Ferrari any extra advantage than they uh, th- than they can get. And, uh, yeah, I think by definitely not announcing uh, that Hamilton had this penalty until the Friday, it meant that Ferrari sort of went into the practice programme with a, mm-hmm. with with their, their regular sort of gusto and, I guess, their regular push. Whereas, had they known about Hamilton, they would, I think, perhaps been plotting a little bit earlier what, how 
how they were going to play the weekend and uh, yeah how to beat Hamilton not just uh, mm-hmm. not just fighting them uh, straight head on so uh, yeah it was definitely interesting to see that move from Mercedes it was yeah tough for Lewis Hamilton that he didn't get the chance to I think fight back against Vettel as he would have liked but mm-hmm. uh, yeah it's um, it definitely added an extra sort of bit of intrigue to, to the race having his fight back through the field absolutely now one of the things we haven't seen for a while in this year we saw a lot last year with Pirelli's tyres and then generally the selection was very good uh, we, we had obviously the introduction of the three tyre rule and all the tyres more or less suited the circuit very well so far this year they've been very hard but in Austria we sort of had this situation where they were almost too soft which is extremely unusual it didn't exactly transpire like that during the race but on Friday all the teams seemed very concerned they brought too many ultrasofts because they brought almost only ultrasofts and they just weren't working around this circuit now there might have been rain which might have helped them out but I mean that's sort of like a bit panic stations and the strategy thinking after that would have been really interesting for these teams considering the soft has been run hardly at all this year yeah definitely it was uh, I think going into the race uh, Vessel and Bottas they hadn't even touched the soft tyre and it was kind of the idea of would they have to be using it would they have any experience on it mm-hmm. would they uh, have any sort of confidence in what they were doing so uh, having the three compounds obviously we've seen Pirelli this year they've been a bit more conservative with their tyres um, the, all three were very very close this weekend in terms of performance so the, it was uh, yeah definitely a, a bit of a strategic conundrum for all of all of the teams really there didn't really seem to be one right answer going into uh, the race uh, I think Pirelli said that the, their ideal strategy would be to go from super soft to the soft Um I don't think uh, I think one driver in the field actually completed mm-hmm. that Nico Hulkenberg but otherwise everyone else went a different way um, and obviously that ideal strategy doesn't even use the option tyre so yeah. the qualifying tyre the ultra soft so it was uh, yeah it was a, a weird sort of situation I think that uh, yeah even with these sort of three super well the ultra super and soft tyres they still weren't soft enough yeah which is yeah unusual I suppose unusual from a strategy point of view and I suppose the final uh, context to this race was that we thought perhaps after Azerbaijan, Ferrari had fallen a little bit off the pace of Mercedes, maybe with that, you know, we call the oil burn controversy that happened after Azerbaijan. Very small controversy, though, over with odd standards. Not the case, but not only that, Red Bull Racing, for the first time at a home Grand Prix, actually seemed relatively competitive from qualifying, and indeed, Daniel Ricciardo ended up finishing on the podium pretty much on merit. Not too many unusual things happened for him to get there, which does bode well as much as Bottas joining the championship fight for the Constructors' Championship. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Red Bull had a really, really good home race today. Um, uh, Ricardo, obviously a podium's great result. I think even bigger was the fact he was only six seconds off Bottas at the Jack of Flags. So that really showed, I think, the progress that Red Bull has made, the steps they've been able to make and um, the work they've been doing throughout this season to go from 45 seconds off the pace in Australia to just six in Austria. It's uh, It's been a really, really impressive, I think, display from them to do that. So, uh, yeah, definite progress from them. The home race has not really been a happy one over the last few years, but, uh, yeah, today it was a great great showing from them Mm -hmm, absolutely and we got i guess for the second time only in this races it was modern races history let's say at the red bull rings history uh a red bull car on the podium which was certainly good news for the the main sponsor the bankroller of this event if we go to the race itself though uh relatively straightforward affair there are things of course to talk about i think the most interesting thing though was valtteri bottas's start which i think sebastian vettel described as not human 
but finish. So <laughs> there's a fine border there. He actually thought it was a jump start. It was looked at as a jump start, but two-tenths of a second reaction time from Valtteri Bottas, which was very impressive. Yeah, very impressive indeed. Uh, it did spark a lot of... Uh, obviously, Vettel said over the radio, he said, Charlie's got to look at this. And uh, yeah, there was that belief it was a jump start, but no, it was just that good. He was mm-hmm. just that quick. And uh, Bottas said after the race, it was sort of you train your practice starts and you sort of find that sort of balance between risk and reward you always gamble a little bit for when you think the lights are going to go mm-hmm. he said recently he's been able to sort of get roughly about when the lights have uh, been able to change so uh, yeah he was able to really really perfect his start and it was uh, yeah a bit lucky definitely but he got it right and he was well within the law so a really really good um, bit of uh, technique from him there mm-hmm. and that set him up for the win obviously which he ultimately went on to do he got a little bit of pressure from Sebastian Vettel at the very end of the race which we'll get to momentarily but what I suppose set up the results for the midfield in particular Williams who had a an atrocious weekend really up until the race when they actually scored double points which is impressive for them uh was this crash Daniel Fiat caused a crash he hit Fernando Alonso who then hit Max Verstappen so two Red Bull cars essentially out of contention at Red Bull's home race Max Verstappen went out right in front of all the the Dutch fans as well just outside uh turn one there uh but this enabled Williams and Jolie and Palmer to jump up to the points where they all tried different strategies which didn't really have much of an effect, which is something we've seen with the tyres today, is that even the ultra soft, super soft, and uh, the, the soft all more or less prefer, uh, performed in the same band, depending on the car. The temperature was, I guess, moderate around the whole circuit, and they ended up scoring points almost by accident. Yeah, definitely. It was quite a, a bit of luck, I think, for Williams to uh, fight back after such poor qualifying and struggling with the updates on the FW40 mm-hmm. this weekend. Uh, yeah, they were able to obviously capitalise on that uh, incident at the start, but then stay there. Lance Stroll said on Saturday thought the race pace of the Williams would be much better. It was. Um, but yeah, on the strategy side, they both tried different strategies and there wasn't really one right answer that was the thing I think mm-hmm. again it just showed how close these compounds were and how it was really a case of just being uh, I guess just looking after your tyres and tires and being able to push at the right point but uh, on the whole yeah there wasn't really anything between them so uh, it, it was a good display from Williams a good fight back definitely but mm-hmm. uh, it was more I think down to uh, a bit of luck off the line than uh, yeah. any strategic genius I think I think so yeah now Massa one of a, only two drivers to start on the soft tyre a couple started on the super soft uh, including Lance Stroll who tried a different strategy some of these strategies were anticipation of rain we all thought rain was coming we had multiple weather updates the rain never arrived actually it did arrive just after the race (laughs) when everyone started leaving the circuit unfortunately but one driver who did start on the super soft was Lewis Hamilton he did this deliberately from qualifying two when you choose the tie you start the race on and this actually did pay dividends for him he was very downcast about it after qualifying he said oh you know it's a bit slower than the ultra soft it might go a bit longer he didn't take it any longer but it did mean he could finish on the ultra soft which led to this really exciting battle for the podium between him and Daniel Ricciardo with Hamilton on a, a marginally faster tyre and, ha- and Ricciardo having to put his elbows out as his uh, t- uh, pit wall told him to do which actually brought the race alive even if only for five laps yeah definitely it was a really really good fight between them at the end uh, we saw uh, yeah Hamilton sort of gaining time hand over fist in the closing stages um, he was able to uh, really push and get the undercut on the ultra soft uh, after his earlier stop and uh, that brought him into contention with the likes of uh, Ricardo, obviously got him ahead of Raikkonen as well and uh, he really looked after the tyre while he was sort of complaining about issues here and there but even towards the end he was lighting the timesheets purple so mm-hmm. he was really really on pace and uh, yeah it was definitely an interesting strategy I think the uh, 
the fact he went shorter than any of the ultra soft leaders despite mm-hmm. being on a tyre that was meant to go a lot longer yes. uh, kind of summed up the sort of weird tyre situation we had this weekend where there wasn't yeah. it, they were all kind of similar and there wasn't really one set rule for mm. how to play your strategy Pirelli's tried so hard to get out of that black round Pirelli <laughs> mindset turns out they are just black yeah. round and Pirelli branded so it's just the way it is for them what was interesting here though uh, we talk about Hamilton having a slightly unusual strategy that got him up into fourth place from eighth he had to pass two cars then benefit from Verstappen crashing out and then undercut Kimi Raikkonen which really set up I think a really interesting uh, I suppose way forward for Ferrari at this point in the championship we talked about Valtteri Bottas's win putting him into contention of the title I think Kimi Raikkonen I mean we all know he's pretty much out of this championship challenge unless something really unusual happens but for the first time this year we've seen Ferrari very actively use him as a I don't want to use the word weapon because that's been uh, thrown around for all sorts of reasons before the last couple of weeks. But it's a strategic aid because he, they left him out to the detriment of his strategy in an attempt to hold up Valtteri Bottas. Didn't work in the end. He wasn't quick enough. But, I mean, that's really a change of the dynamic of this season so far. This has sort of cemented it as a three-horse championship race rather than potentially a four. Certainly. We saw, uh, obviously, Raikkonen had that moment in Monaco where he got pole. And mm-hmm. I think there was maybe some thoughts that, hey, Kimi can come back. He can uh, get maybe in this title fight. Maybe maybe try and have some of say some say in it but now i think yeah this weekend he wasn't on the pace really uh Sergio Marchioni Ferrari uh, chairman and CEO said that uh, he was a bit uh laggard and mm, he had to uh, laggard, laggard uh, <laughs> meaning sort of slow to progress slow to learn and mm. he had to show a bit more commitment and uh, i think that yeah really showed that ultimately Ferrari they can't they can't see Raikkonen getting in this title fight. They can't see him winning it himself. They can't see him really taking points off the likes of Bottas and Hamilton. Mm-hmm. So, really, the main thing is just to help Vettel as much as possible. That's what they tried today with that long strategy. Um, plan was initially to respond to Hamilton, but they decided not to. I think probably looking at the situation with Bottas. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, it were, I think that sums up where Ferrari is now. They're not looking at Raikkonen as a title contender at all. They're looking at him as a number two to Vettel. And if he can't do that, then I think there's going to be real serious questions about his long-term future. Well, I was going to say, so this 44 uh, stint uh, on the Ultrasoft, which was his opening stint, ultimately undid his position in this race. They tried to use him to hold up Bottas. Didn't work. He's fifth in the race, fifth in the Constructors' Championship as well, behind Daniel Ricciardo, who has won a race. Raikkonen obviously hasn't won any races. The Constructors' Championship tally is suffering as a result against Mercedes. Ferrari is well behind there now, especially after Bottas has won. I mean, Raikkonen's been renewed a good few times, his contract. One-year deal, supposedly, to motivate him. Surely there won't be another one, considering Ferrari is very much in the championship fight, Constructors' Championship fight, and may well lose it because he's underperforming. I'm not sure. I I think that the big thing going for Raikkonen is his good relationship with Vettel. I think that is massive. I think we've got to recognise this is now Vettel's team, and he he Mm -hmm. is the number one. Vettel said on Thursday he'd much rather have Kimi as a teammate than Fernando Alonso coming for example mm-hmm. um, I would be wary about who else is out there to actually do a better job than Raikkonen does I mean ultimately if you bring in a, a Grosjean or a Perez for me they would take time to get up to speed they'd take time to sort of adapt to life in Ferrari and I think that could actually end up being a longer process and maybe not a long term thing they could really do so perhaps for them it's a case of sticking with Raikkonen until they can find a long term option whether that is a Daniel Ricciardo or a Max Verstappen mm-hmm. or if they want to put their money on Antonio Giovinazzi or Charles Leclerc I'm not sure but I think that they've got to be 100% sure about who they're bringing in as a better alternative to Raikkonen mm-hmm. um, 
Yes, he may end up costing them the constructors the season. Yes, he may end up costing Vettel the championship of the season. But you've got to question, would a Grosjean or a Perez do any differently? It's an interesting prospect. I mean, there's a lot to think about. Team Harmony, certainly one of them. The idea of adapting to Ferrari, probably the hardest team to adapt to in Formula <laughs> 1, given the various politics of the sport uh, in Italy and inside Ferrari itself. But, I mean, the, the championship picture at the end of the season will be very interesting to analyse from that point of view. Mercedes has long had, I guess, more or less a, a two-number one driver policy certainly with Hamilton and Rosberg that was the case now with Bottas you'd assume that has to be the case how that's going to stack up I mean it's been a while since Ferrari even in its championship winning days really had to face up to that kind of pressure in some respects it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a new uh, concept or a new championship fight for Formula One it's not usual we have two potentially uh, two teams with potentially two number one drivers in it it's a, it's a different kind of idea yeah definitely I think yeah before we've always seen sort of the, the set number one we saw Schumacher Hakkinen and McLaren mm-hmm. they were the set number ones um, closest we probably came was sort of 07 08 with McLaren and Ferrari and yeah. Uh, when we had uh, uh, yeah Hamilton and Alonso together and uh, Massa and Raikkonen together but uh, even then you kind of yeah Ferrari you sort of saw Raikkonen coming to the fore I think so mm-hmm. um, yeah I, th- I think it's uh, it's interesting it's good though it's good to have this open fight it's good to have these sort of there's no set policy from Mercedes especially um, I think Ferrari uh, yeah they're putting their money on Vettel rightly so but um, I think yeah it's good for F1 I think it's good to have that variation Mm -hmm. it's good to have just as having two number one drivers in two separate teams fighting each other can get a bit dull as can having two drivers within the same team Hamilton Rosberg we have recently Uh, same thing so if we have this different dynamic as you say yeah add some extra spice to the championship Mm -hmm. certainly Uh, and there are two midfield fights I want to talk about before we do wrap this up Uh, and that is uh, first of all Jolly and Palmer maybe not so much a fight but I want to talk about his prospects in this race came very close to scoring his first point but did not uh, he started on the soft uh, and ended the race on the ultra soft it was a one stop strategy stopped around about the middle of the Grand Prix did pressure stroll towards the end of the race but just couldn't get it done they were both on the same tyre uh, the this was a race he sort of led for Renault. Hulkenberg dropped to 15th after that crash at the start, uh, where he sort of had to drive around it. Uh, and then uh, thereafter, he had a very long last stint on the soft. Didn't really deliver the performance to, to move him up the grid. I mean, this is sort of what Cyril Abitbull, the uh, director at Renault, was saying, is that in situations where Hulkenberg's out for the count, Palmer doesn't necessarily fill the breach in the way you would expect him to. Do you think this performance, because he did okay this weekend, he qualified not so far behind Hulkenberg, finished just outside of the point with reasonable pace do you think this is enough to sort of satisfy that or do you still think he's very much in danger granted it's only one Grand Prix this has happened yeah he's definitely in danger Um, I think it's uh, yeah one race he said that this weekend sort of his breakthrough much as Mm -hmm. uh, as Canada was last year but again breakthrough and he's still outqualified by Hulkenberg he's still not in the points um, you've kind of got a question what actually needs to fall his way all of the other midfield runners this year they sort of had the one chance to get up there and they've made the most of it maybe this mm-hmm. is Palmer's chance I'm, I don't know but um, no again it, Renault they don't want drivers who nearly score points they don't want drivers mm-hmm. who nearly make it through to Q2 they want drivers who are in the points regularly who can really take a race by the scruff of the neck Palmer I, uh, well yeah he got up a load of positions at the start due to the clash but uh, then didn't make any passes didn't really make any inroads nearly caught stroll at the end but mm-hmm. again, it's not impressive and uh, I think he's really got to up his game I think starting at Silverstone and push on because he's in real trouble mm-hmm. and I want to look briefly at Williams because they've had what I'm willing to describe as a bit of a Williams weekend because generally they perform quite well and then all of a sudden this 
Strange Weekend comes along where they don't perform and they don't really know why. Uh, normally these results come at places like Monaco. Well, they kind of know why they don't perform at Monaco, but they more or less write those weekends off because the car just doesn't perform there. This time in Austria, the car was so underperforming that they couldn't even figure out why. Throughout all three practice sessions, even after qualifying when they locked out the second last row of the grid, considering only a couple of years ago they locked out the front row of the grid, quite a change. They jumped up because of that crash, but I emphasise because of that crash. And what I thought was was very interesting was that both finished on the ultra soft tyre, in particular Massa, uh, who then was trying to challenge Esteban Ocon, who drives a Force India and is therefore one of Williams' chief rivals, or their chief rival in the Constructors' Championship. But the problems that affected them in qualifying, that one lap pace, meant he just couldn't do it. I mean, how big a limitation was it this car at this round for them to be able to do anything? Like we were saying, the tyres seemed to make no difference. Having that fresh tyre at the very end seemed to make no difference. It was a bit of a nothing race, I suppose, for them, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Um, Stroll was saying how the updates were... They gave Williams a step, which I found quite surprising because, yeah, we didn't see it, really. Mm -hmm. And he was saying how it was just a lack of grip. That was a problem for them working with the tyres. Again, it's been a problem for all of the teams. Um, He said the elevation as well made it difficult with the car. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a weird one. One. Uh, they uh, they were definitely sort of better in the race, but mm-hmm. they if they really want to take the fight to force India for fourth place in the constructors, which they absolutely should be, um, yeah, they need to be I think performing better. Obviously, qualifying solo down isn't a good way to start, and uh, to be beaten by to have Haas finishing as sort of the best of the rest behind mm-hmm. the other teams, it's uh, yeah, it, it sort of shows where Williams is. It's uh, they're in a weird spot right now where I think they've just got to try and make the best of it, but there's no real consistency. The stroll goes from uh, a terrible start of the season to mm-hmm. three straight points finishes uh, he goes from the podium in one race to start in 18th in the next and uh, I think Williams just need to find a bit of consistency a bit of uh, continuity and then they'll uh, they'll probably start to uh, find their feet a bit more this season what's been interesting about this year and this race I think is a good example of it is that the midfield in particular has been a bit all over the place but in a good way in a way where they perform differently on different weekends you mentioned there for example Haas had an excellent weekend Grosjean finished sixth and qualified sixth as well and Kevin Magnussen could have done the same but he just had an awful weekend mechanical wise uh there's so much variation in this midfield Uh, the points are sort of a little bit separate at this point in time but the performances are all sort of there i mean how much pressure is on midfield teams in situations like this to really capitalize and and score points knowing that on any given weekend more or less more or less sixth or seventh place could be up for grabs for any of them it definitely adds to the pressure i think it's a case of capitalising and uh, yeah, taking advantage of the opportunity as it arises. We saw Williams do that, obviously, with Stroll hitting the podium in Baku. Saw Haas do that this weekend. The Grosjean was absolutely fantastic. Didn't put a foot wrong. Um, no brake problems. And uh, he, he, he was all good to uh, to take a pretty, pretty lonely sixth at the end of the race. So it was, uh, yeah, it was definitely, uh, I think, the midfield this season is so so close that yeah if you miss one of these opportunities uh, as I think Renault did in Baku uh, with Hulkenberg's of, uh, crash mm-hmm. and obviously Palmer's uh, poor luck it can come and bite back and I think at the end of the season when there's a few points deciding it that'll be crucial yeah absolutely I think that's the way it's shaping up and we're already seeing for example Renault underscoring uh, despite the fact they should have a, a car that can score points uh, how that shakes out at the end of the season will be genuinely interesting uh, the next round is Silverstone one week away uh, which again another cha- an interesting challenge aerodynamics wise power wise who do you expect should be performing judging by this sort of precursor to the race at Silverstone 
Uh, I think Ferrari will be strong there. I think that the car's been pretty good everywhere, to be honest. Um, I think, yeah, we're going to see Mercedes obviously be fighting again. I think if they can carry over their form from Baku and really take mm-hmm. that to Silves, and I think that would be uh, uh, definitely uh, definitely a good show. Um, and see what Red Bull can do. I mean, is it track-specific? Is it a long-term thing that they are really in this fight now? Can they get in the mix at the front? It'll be exciting. I think it's going to be close. Mm-hmm. Well, the thunder's rolling in. We're seeing lightning clouds. Yeah. All that thunderstorm <laughs> we were talking about today, I think, is finally about yeah. to happen here in Spielberg. Certainly the trucks are rolling out. They want to get onto the road as fast as possible. Luke Smith, it's been a pleasure to wrap up this Austrian Grand Prix. Interesting Austrian <laughs> Grand Prix. Let's say that with you. Brilliant. Thank you, Michael. Cheers. That was the strategy report for the 2017 Austrian Grand Prix. But if you want to read more about the strategy from this week's race, go to f1strategyreport.com for the pit stop stats, tyre data and Jack Leslie's write-up of all the action from Spielberg. The strategy report is powered by the 2017 edition of Apex Race Manager, the number one new racing game in Germany, Italy and Australia. You can download Apex Race Manager for free for iOS and Android devices. My name's Michael Laminato. You can find me at Michael Laminato on Twitter, and I'll catch you next week when we look back at the British Grand Prix.